Hey guys, welcome to Debrief after our episode with Noah Smith, the millennial economist. Really fun person to talk to, David. What mm-hmm. were your uh, thoughts coming out of that? I feel like we could talk to him for... Ever? Forever. Like five, ten hours. I would love to get a beer with that guy and just yeah? see see what happens, see where it goes. Yeah. I feel like I'd have to be pretty sober to like um, catch everything, though. His mind works pretty quickly, and he, he, he pulls out like facts... Yes, from history really fast. in particular. Incredibly fast. Out of left field. Yeah, he does it very, very well. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I just, want, I just want to know what he does on his spare time. He's got to be like constantly learning all the time, which writing is definitely a form of learning. He reads and he writes. He reads and he writes. Is what I've gleaned. He's just like uh, uh, a very highly educated, what's the right word for this? Highly educated person, like through and through. I, th- I think Perpetual, he has his PhD like, in. Yeah. He has a PhD in economics, I believe, as well. So it's mm. like he's, you know, he's done the academic side of things. But like, I think he's just, um, you, you can really tell like he's exp- doing this for fun. Right. Like his ideas are just He sounds of- like he's having fun. That's what was so enjoyable about this episode. He's like, he's having the hell of fun. Yeah. One other difference between him and maybe m- many of our other uh, guests is I would say like, um, I know we don't get into politics very often, uh, like nor should we, because Bankless as a platform is pretty apolitical, right? Uh, other mm-hmm. than the the B, the, the only A we care about is like the anti-authoritarian A, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know we're we're definitely not on that side of the spectrum. Wait, um, what are they? What are the other forms of A? Uh, I don't know. I said I said apolitical, so I was going off oh. of that. You know, a oh, uh, anti-authoritarianism versus apoliticalness. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but Noah Noah himself is probably uh, a little bit left of center, I think, mm-hmm. and. What's interesting about his, um, like him, is he's at the same time he's kind of left of center. He's also a, a techno optimist, self self ascribed, um, but he also very much believes in the American vision, right? It's like he was very certain in that conversation we just had that America is not descending into some sort of totalitarian right. um, surveillance state. Which is interesting because, like, I'll tell you from, like, as someone who is uh, American, as well as, by the way, I was born in Canada, so I had that thing. But, like, um, American, but I also very much resonate with the founding ideals of, like, lowercase l liberalism that this country was was founded on. And I see those represented in uh, crypto. I'm not so certain some days that America is not heading towards some totalitarian, uh, authoritarian, like nation state. In fact, I think we need to be very defensive against that. And I, I'm guessing Noah would, would also agree that we need to defend against that. But he is very certain that uh, the U.S. itself will be an upholder of uh, liberal ideas, lo- lowercase l, liberal ideas into this next century. And uh, I guess I'm not so certain. So the right. bullish America was kind of different from a from a guess. I don't think we've had, we've had someone who's that bullish on the future of, of the U S and nation states. Yeah. What do you think if you had to pick a side without looking at the data, you have two opinions. One is that American liberal values will be preserved. And the other is that America is going downhill, both economically as a global power and as like a government and, and democracy leadership, it's all going away. It's all crumbling. I feel like it's the default without looking at the data, just like 
it's easier and probably more correct to be on the side like, no, we're going to preserve the values. We're going to figure out a way. Because like, I don't think American populists will let, it, will let totalitarian values incept their way so far into America. I think if you you're... Think so? Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, always like... But like we have like the Bank Secrecy Act, for example, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. We have like, you know, the crypto wars we fought and we won. It's not so clear that we're going to win the crypto wars 2.0 for example, I mean, this tornado cash sort of thing. Um, like there's lots of reasons where, why, um, like the U S could not be an upholder of its traditional Western liberal values. Right. And, um, Balaji is kind of like, which is interesting that the connection of Noah Smith and Balaji, I'd almost love to have both of them on the bankless podcast and kind of like debate back and forth. Uh Um, because I think Balaji is, is, much more ready to use um, exit uh, as his form of, of voting right. from the Western liberal democracy nation state, right? Um, and where, whereas, whereas Noah Smith's, uh, he's like, no, there's something good that needs to be preserved here. And by the way, and I do agree with him on this, you'll never replace nation states with crypto. I don't even think Balaji thinks that, right? No. But like, certainly we don't. Healthcare, like Healthcare, police, like, right? Yeah, yeah police, Social just order. even even just security, like, you know, right. you know, protection. Somebody not invading your house and like wrench attacking you for your private keys, right? That'd be right. nice. And you kind of need a nation state to do that, that yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I agree with that, but like he, he just still seems very bullish on, the, on the, the American project, which I don't see so often, either from the left or like even from the right. Everyone else is just kind of like, pessimistic i guess about the state of uh the united states and and that's different about him i think we didn't have time to go into um the social side of things is like this the left versus right is like ripping up us each other apart at the seams and then social media like like uh uh amplifies this amplifies that bigly and I feel like that's a lot of where p- people's opinions are of like, oh yeah, the nation's the American experiment's failing when actually is like mostly fine. Um, but also at the same time, it's like it's also still be- better than like almost everywhere else, right? Like it's got to be. I, I guess. I mean, I think that it's not. You know, there there are other fantastic countries, of course. But like, if you ask me the question of would I rather live in, um, we'll say, take an extreme, um, Russia right now, sure, uh, versus the U.S. like. Hands down. I mean, for, right. is that even a choice? Uh, or, or even China with all of its growth? Would I rather be sort of a, like a, a wealthy, um, right. like, you know, plutocrat in, in China versus so a freer citizen in mm-hmm. a Western country? It, it definitely, I'd take the Western country any day of the week. So there are some advantages, some, some freedoms. So, so for, I'm take something simple, David. Uh, we wouldn't be doing a bankless podcast in Russia, would we? No, we, um, we couldn't do a bankless Talk podcast in China about that. Yeah. Right. Like, and so we're in a country where we actually get to ex- express, uh, crypto ideals through speech and, um, talk about and broadcast this it's and it's a freedom that we enjoy and that is preserved in a you know western liberal society and it's like um, for all of the faults that we have like i am exceedingly thankful mm-hmm. that we have this and i think that's part of why what i was saying is like yeah if we already have this it's hard to lose it because you have institutions like bankless that when uh tornado cash gets sanctioned we start like bringing on people from coin center and we start promoting efforts against this because freedom of speech is inside of this country it's hard to lose that and so like there can be attempts to 
take away some liberal values out of America and, and to do that, but the people have the, the tools and the voice to fight back on it. And that's why I never really think it would go all that far. Well, I'm, I bet I'm you there's hope- another debrief somewhere out there where I'm like, dude, America is going to full totalitarian maybe like, another time like yeah, yeah it right. could be a mood it could be a lot of things different yeah, so. different podcast guests yeah <laughs> yeah but anyway that that that's kind of interesting i guess um my you know it's really interesting to hear him sort of size up the uh the u.s and eu sizing up against russia and china he's mm-hmm. he's he's pretty clear that he seems to think that that's kind of the the dichotomy moving forward and not to say that they're like best friend allies. Right. But it's just in the, in the way that, you know, I, I read, um, you know, the rise of the third Reich, which is like, I listened to this on audio. It's just like, I don't know, 50 hours or something of content. Oh Jesus. And, and it's very, te- very tenuous relationship between like Japan and, uh, Germany during world war two is, it's absolutely a marriage of convenience. These are not like right. BFS F's forever. Right. And you, you got the sense that they would absolutely backstab each other if they didn't have some kind as of soon common as one enemy. of them's in the lead, yeah, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's like China and Russia don't have to be like BFFs in order to right. make some kind of alliance or cooperation work. And I think that was a very valid point. But he, um, it's it's interesting to kind of size up these various economies and strengths of of both. And you know, I read that in the, in the backdrop of um, you know he was very discrediting, I think, of Ray Dalio's opinion on things, but. Um, I've always appreciated Dalio's models of kind of the rise and fall of empires and power structures. And I think that's, that's at play here too. And, um, I don't know, I guess one, one element from Noah is I feel like he has a pretty rosy picture of maybe U S dominance or some things. Like when we ask the question of how would, how would the U S dollar fall? He's like, you know, would, could fiat ever die? Could, could, could dollar dollar ever die? He's like, everything dies. Like the sun, will explode, heat death of the universe, all of these things. He, he seemed to imply that the dollar has a long ways to go yeah. before it's uh, it's finished. And yeah. by that, you also have to take hand in hand that, that the empire, the U.S. as an empire, has a long way to go because so go one, one same, yeah. so goes the other, right? They're, right? they're kind of interlinked. And I, I don't know if I vibe with him on that. I do feel like we're on the the downward trajectory from a, you know empire power perspective of the U.S., I think that I think that's right. He w- he was saying at, like a- as we were talking like DXY is super high, the Dixie, the dollar strength index, and like the British pound has fell like something like eight percent or something with the dollar in the last like two days, and so and so like this is he, this is what he's saying like the global state of global markets right now is that everyone's buying dollars, and so like everyone really wants dollars all the time, and so he's making that argument. But then there's like the Brett Johnson dollar milkshake theory was like first there is a flight towards dollars because all debt is denominated in dollars. And then the dollar collapses because at some point like you we just have to turn on the money printer to print it all away. Right. It's I think it's like but I think that first step is that the dollar becomes the entire sector of fiat currency. It's is, kind of pretty close to that now. Which and it's definitely growing in strength. And then he followed through and say and said, Yeah, and American liberalism and America and the United States isn't going away anytime soon as well. And so I, I do I feel partial to that argument. Uh you I, mean the, you want the, to believe it? <laughs> I, I think well it's it's in contrast to the dollar milkshake theory, right? Where first there's a flight towards dollars to pay back debts, and then everyone's like, you know what, fuck the dollar, I'm out. Uh and like if if that 
there, there needs to be a release valve for that demand for dollars to go for the dollar milkshake theory to play out. So, like, maybe Brett Johnson and, and others are, like, thinking, like, okay, the digital yuan will take over and perhaps also Bitcoin. Brett Johnson's a big Bitcoin believer. And so I don't think it's – I don't think demand from dollar goes back to the yuan because that's in the same category. I think it would move out to a different category. It would go into crypto. But then that's when we get into the conversation of, like, well, crypto is volatile and the USDC is the dollar. And, like, it's a different sector. No, no, Noah Smith said – I mean, the future is fiat, right? This is the, yeah. the title of the episode. He, he said that um, he's not expecting a cryptocurrency to – to be the the next reserve currency in any way, shape, or form, or right. a reversion back to gold, he thinks it's going to be a new fiat. And if you asked him what fiat can you name, he'd be like, "I don't know. There isn't one yet," which is kind of weird. And why mm-hmm. I default to like U.S. dollar dominance, he certainly doesn't think that a cryptocurrency could you know take its place. And this is definitely in contrast to like the the, the strong Bitcoin maximalist take of hyper Bitcoinization. I think Ethereum has a bit of this take. Is dead. Right, I, I, it seems to be, but uh, Ethereum sort of has this take in that it thinks that the, um, it will bleed some value from the dollar and and like fiat um, global reserve currencies. But the argument of Ether as money doesn't rest on that. That's just like right. one right. like leg of the stool, if you will. Right. There, like it's, it's just saying that Ether is compelling as an asset. It, it kind of is. I mean, the big argument for why Ether is like the Ethereum economy is so large that right. it starts to. Eat some of the United States GDP, which is productive, and I think Noah might even agree with that. Yeah, I think he would. I I don't think he's gotten quite there in his um, um, like battlings with crypto evangelists yet um, to actually debate that piece. I mean, sure. knocking down the the strong Bitcoin maximalist arguments is like fairly easy. It's kind of like fairly straw man. It's like right. if if you're saying that. Um, Bitcoin should not be uh, a currency because no one wants to spend their Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, uh, yes. We've been saying that for a very long time, right? That's an easy argument to kind of knock down. I think um, what he might be more interested in is is sort of the... uh, the argument for ether as a growing economy and a productive asset for that right. economy and a long-term store of value, but also in some aspects like a denominator of of um, like uh, collateral and mm-hmm. using DeFi and kind of the you know the standard arguments that we make for ether as an asset. One thing I wanted to ask, but I knew we just weren't we weren't going to have enough time is when we were talking about okay, ether could be the currency of the metaverse. Uh, it, it won't usurp the dollar though. It's one of those things where, like, does Noah think that Ether, the market cap of Ether, could pass the market cap of the dollar? And if he says yes to that question and also says no to the fact that Ether isn't currency or it isn't money, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Because, like, if, Ether, if the market cap of Ether goes and passes the U.S. dollar, in my mind, Ether has done all the things it's aspired and wanted to do to make it good money for what it is. And if it doesn't, I don't really care if I don't, if I walk into my local like McDonald's or coffee shop and they don't take yeah. ether. The point is to grow the market cap. Well, see what he's already accepted that like of all of the uses of money that you could denominate, one of which is going to the Starbucks and paying for it, which is just, I don't know why that it's so overused in crypto, right. but like he's already accepted one of them, which is uh, crypto is a good money for, for what, for capital flight. Okay, no, mm-hmm. we got you there. You got one use right. case here, right? And then you just need to go down the path of seeing it's a good money for other things. Right. And like, I think the point of um, that I was trying to communicate, but it might not have landed with him yet, or maybe it never will, 
is the difference between Ether and like Apple shares. Because yes, they're both productive assets. Um, and, you know, I, I was trying to get to the fact that Ether is governed differently than it's, it's settlement Apple assurances, shares. yeah. Settlement assurances are different. And also, like, I also the true with a dollar. The Ether is different from the dollar in that same way. Exactly. And I didn't just mean like because uh, Apple shareholders could vote to issue more, but, but also like, think of like, let's say you're trying to flee the United States with your money. You could, what are your Apple shares on freaking E-Trade going to do for you? Yeah. Right. Like mm. how many ways could you freeze that? Right. It's like, it's first of all, shares are just a legal contract. A They're legal freezable agreement. at the base layer. Yeah. Freezable at the base layer settles in the U S government. So this is 99,000 ways to freeze that. And right. like that, this is why it's not a good money. Whereas Ether, mm-hmm. if I have my money in Ether, I, it's liquid anywhere I go. I can take it with me. I don't, like it's perfect money for capital flight in a way that um, Apple shares aren't and can never be. And so this is this is why my unit of account for crypto is like Ether, and it's not Apple shares, or it's not like I don't know some some, uh, some other productive asset as an ERC twenty, um, but that. That maybe wasn't he- ready to hear that, or maybe that just didn't, that argument doesn't land with him yet. But I think he's already partially there, David, in that he like respects cryptocurrency for capital flight money. Right. Yeah. You were saying that he hasn't fully gone down the the rabbit the thought experiment, the rabbit hole. Maybe. Maybe. Well, yeah. Maybe that's true. Yeah. Um, he's also he's also um, I think over indexing on the like the Ponzi aspect of Web three, and I yeah, I thought it was fair. No, but. Um, you can't. I, I think defining Web three by like Axie Infinity and Helium oh, is yes, very sure. limited definition of Web three. Right. Yeah, we sk- happen to skip over of a Uniswap, MakerDAO, DeFi, the, the, the non Ponzi's, decentralized identity types right. of use cases, other right. things. Um, yes, use cases though, not solutions. I think he's one of those guys that would like show more me. solutions than show ideas. Me first. Yeah, exactly. He's a show me guy. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, he's also a, a techno optimist. I think he's yeah. written this elsewhere. We didn't get into that that detail, but he seems pretty bullish. Like, um, he's a big respecter of the the cypherpunks. This is another line of conversation we didn't mm-hmm. go down. But uh, I know you pulled out some things that we had oh, in yeah. the agenda. We just didn't have time to talk about. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, let me go. Let me go. Actually, just read this since I didn't get a moment to talk about it in the show. He talked about. Uh, the cypherpunks got were the f- people, the flavor of people that were making predictions about the future, and they were the ones that got it right. In contrast to of the other, all the other flavors of you know future predictions uh, that that could be. Uh, and so he wrote, uh, I recently wrote a fairly well received Twitter thread about how the cipher uh, cyberpunk sci-fi of the 1980s and early 1990s accurately predicted a lot of our current world. Our modern society is totally wired and connected, but also totally unequal. Quote, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed, as Gibson was fond of saying. Hackers, cyber warfare, and online psyops are a regular part of our political and economic life. Billionaires build spaceships and collaborate with the government to spy on the populace, while working-class people live out in shipping crates and drinking poison water. Hobbyists are into body modifications and genetic engineering, while labs are researching artificial body parts and computer brain interfaces. The jetpack is real. But there's only one of it, and it's owned by a rich guy. <laughs> artificial, artificial intelligence trades stocks and can beat humans at Go. Deaf people can hear. 
libertarians and criminals funnel billions of dollars around the world with untraceable private crypto money. A meme virus almost as crazy as the one in Snow Crash swept an insane man into the presidency of the United States. And in Texas, you can carry a sword on the street like a street samurai in Neuromancer. There are even <laughs> artificial pop stars and murderous cyborg super athletes. Roughly, we are living in a world that the cypherpunks envisioned. And so my question for him was like, why did they get that right where others failed? And if we can put ourselves into the shoes of a cyberpunk, cyberpunk and cypherpunks, these are different things. I wonder how different they are. But if we can put ourselves into the feet of a uh, shoes of a cyber cyberpunk, the one, the flavor that Noah references, what would they predict it to be like in 2023 or 2030 and 2040? Would it be like any different? Just a continuation of the trajectory? Like what's going on here? I just thought the take was interesting. And he contrasts like the cyberpunks being right versus, um, like the Star Trek futurists right. of, you know, we're going to be on like spaceships and right. we're going to be kind of a United mm. Federation bringing humanity into the kind of the, the future and into the cosmos. I could take that, the argument that the Star Trek future happens after we solve global coordination failures. Maybe. That's really what Star Trek is. It's like the future where global coordination failures are solved. It's funny though. In Star Trek, there's, it's, um, I've, I've heard like, maybe it's bald. Um, Balaji to like criticize the Star Trek future of like, there's no real notion of money. Like they've solved the money problem. Right. Like it feels like um, not uh, game theoretical enough, right. not kind of war game enough. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. ring of reality. It rings almost yeah. of this kind of utopia that like it's, humanity It's the universe where Moloch is completely slayed. Yes. And it's, ignore, it's ignoring the fact that slaying Moloch is an infinite game. Right. And it's, it, by the way, it's, it's slayed by kind of like nation state type of apparatus, a federation right. yes. of yeah. like planets, I guess, in the right. solar system. Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of scaling the UN upwards. Whereas, right. whereas I think the, from a practical perspective, um, doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it probably won't work like that. Uh, so, so there is a, a ring of truth maybe in the cyberpunk as a contrast to that, where it's just right. weirder. Like everything right. is, um, well, weirder and also like uh, uh, wealth is uh, the wealth disparity is large. Disparity is large. Yeah, exactly. Wealth disparity is like a little bit more organic, I'd say. Right. Yeah. Totally. So that's another area we could we could talk about. Um, we didn't even talk to him about inflation, which I would have loved to hear his right. thoughts on inflation. Like what um, what does he think inflation's caused by? Um, you know, there's there's so many more topics to kind of go back, um, but guy has a wealth of encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge for sure. Yeah, totally. I uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed his his take on kind of the geopolitics, though that that yeah. in and of itself was incredibly useful. Um, yes, I liked his answer very much on the like the potential conflict between the U.S. and China and whether that's avoidable or not. And I love the honesty yeah. of his answer, which is like. Anyone who says they have an answer to that, nine clap, is completely BSing you. Mm-hmm. And I love that there were all of these ideas of like in the middle type of because for me, I think when I've thought about this, and I've probably thought about it in a lazy way, it's either a binary, like there's peace or there's war, and war is World War Three. And there's like right. nothing in the middle in my mind. And like that's also not how reality works. Like there's a yeah, range of different It's how both World War One and World War Two worked. It's true, um, but also it doesn't mean that 
it has to go in one direction or, or the other. Yeah. Um, I do think there is, with the internet, the thing that is new versus other world wars is that we are tied in as a global populace to what's going on much better now. There's a distaste for violence and war more now. So I don't and know. And also there is the more free ability to exit out of these systems, which is a point that I brought up with Noah. I think there's the free ability to exit out of these systems. And again, I'm just kind of armchairing this. So I hadn't thought about this long, but I, what do you I agree think with podcasting you there. is, brother. Okay, but so I, I agree with you there that there is the free ability to exit maybe more in some ways, but you can't totally exit, right? You still need the nation state apparatus. You still yeah. have to live somewhere. You're still a meat sack, aren't you? And right. so, but the, maybe there's more freedom for you know, capital and that sort of thing. There is more internet uh, communication, but I think in a world uh, war scenario, that can quite easily be balkanized and actually like state controlled in uh, new ways, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I've always questioned, I know you have an optimistic view about this of like, you know, humanity has entered this, this place where we are uh, less uh, violent than we once were. And like, our, there's just, we're more, more civilized, basically. We don't have an appetite for the violence. I don't know, man. Like more recently, as I've seen kind of like, like R slash Ukraine, like, like war reports, war footage, uh, et No, cetera. I think that's a, I think that's points for me. I think because, uh, Putin is throwing his soldiers at Ukraine. And then as soon as Ukraine attacks, their soldiers are like, I, I don't give a fuck about this. I'm out. I'm done. Like, to, oh. like Ukraine said, like gave a, a statement to like Russian soldiers is that like, if you just surrender, you can just like join Ukraine for free. And, and like that's it like I'm that just, i feel like that's points to my side the vitriol though of like i don't think so he, here's the thing i've always like not quite been on board with that like humans are getting more civilized i think maybe our cultures are but we can easily revert like we're running the same software that we ran a hundred years ago when we had multiple world wars from, i don't uh, think so because of the internet i think the internet has started to tinker with the firmware we are really? more globally connected yeah think of like a Maybe this is a good example against me, but think of like the George Floyd protests, right? Like police officer, knee on the neck of a guy, guy dies, and the country erupts in support of anti-police brutality, right? I, but then, I think but that's I kind just, of the same. I, I, so I still think that all of that can be more easily manipulated by the state. It's, it's just like you can, you can use events like that and you can like, you know, uh, broadcast that in a way to control your population. To to, yeah, mm. to do, it's like... You can use the same internet technology of like, you know, distribution of uh, information for like free and open societies. Is that going to be used in the same way like Joseph Goebbels used the, um, the radio broadcast to the German right. people to, you know, use it as a tool to increase propaganda? And there was a time during the 1920s, actually earlier than that, in like 1910s, where there were radio utopians who believed that like radio was going to be, bring about this like decentralized future and, um, you know, AM radio receivers, like this would be kind of censorship resistant communication between humans. And like, sure, that worked for a time. And then it became like a tool instrument of propaganda for the state and allowed nation states to like, get, like nation states can use these internet tools as well to distribute information. I mean, it's just more a pessimistic side. I, I think maybe there have been some advances culturally in like, the operating system of like human societies, but it is true that we are running the same biological software as we were a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago, which is just like base 
Homo sapien 1.0, which like it's can like nature devolve. versus nurture, right? So like our nature is the same, but we are more educated, we're more interconnected, we're more interdependent uh, than what we what we were a hundred thousand years ago. Yeah, hopefully. I just, I still, I, I think that um, the Russia incident recently, Russia and Ukraine incident has shaken my confidence more than ever on like the, the idea that it, you know, Western societies, advanced societies wouldn't, wouldn't go to war in this way. And we're seeing like the brutality of war and the, like the real potential that it could escalate into something even more. But I hope mm. you're right, David. Uh, I do hope you're Me right too. on that. Me yeah. Too. Me oh, too. what else we got? Anything else? Um, I got nothing. That was cool. I the think ra- we should have Noah back. The conversation was fun. Yeah. Uh, and that Substack is amazing. He writes too mm-hmm. much for me to read every single article, but yeah. um, it's definitely a gold mine there. So Bankless listeners, subscribe to Noah's Substack. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And thank you for listening to the debrief. See you later. Cheers.